What a year. 2020 seems to have come and gone so quickly. So much has happened across the globe, yet in some ways, it kind of feels like time has stood still a little. Usually this time of year, many of us would be sharing a boot-shaped cup of steaming hot mulled wine or hot chocolate at the local Christmas market, or we would be traveling home to see friends and family to celebrate this holiday season. But things are different this year. So we wanted to have something slightly different for all of you this year on Satellite Stories. Today, we're catching up with SCS's CEO, Steve Collar. We talk a little bit about the 35-year-long history of SES, Steve's background, the year 2020, and what is yet to come in 2021. And I promise you, there are some amazing little anecdotes that Steve shares that might surprise you. I have to say that despite the curveballs of 2020, Steve's enthusiasm and energy left me smiling. And I hope this two-part series leaves a smile on your face as well. Welcome to Satellite Stories. I'm your host, Christina Smith-Meyer, and without further delay, let me introduce our guest today, Steve Collar. There's no better time in many respects to be in, in space and be in the satellite industry. We've sort of spent a bit of time thinking about our purpose as an organization, and we've sort of come up with this this phrase of we do the extraordinary in space to deliver amazing experiences everywhere on Earth. And, and the extraordinary in space really resonates with me because it's one of the things I, I came to the satellite industry sort of by mistake 30 odd years ago and I've never left and I, and I, and I've never left because I love it. I love uh, what we do. What we do is incredibly hard and to make a successful business out of launching satellites and delivering services from, you know, one of the harshest environments you can, you can possibly imagine is genuinely inspiring. And space has experienced a real resurgence over the last, I would say, five years. It's also experienced genuine disruption. So everything that we do becomes even harder. And so, yeah, I, I think the thing that I'm most proud of or the thing that I, I get most inspired by is the brilliant people at SES solving problems. And that means solving problems for our customers. It means solving problems in terms of defining the future strategy of the business, the energy that comes as a result of us, you know, recognizing some of the challenges that we face, recognizing that the world is changing, that we're part of a, a bigger marketplace uh, that our core business, if you like, our video business is certainly uh, changed out of all recognition over the last five years. And that's really exciting. I think with disruption, you either sort of shrink from it or you embrace it. And and I think this period in, in SES's history is one where we are evolving and driving forward our business at a time where our markets and our customers' markets, you know, the the, the experience that our, our largest customers, both on the on the video side and the network side of our business, is very, very, very different from how it was 10 years ago. And our ability to sort of support them and disrupt with them is is really, really important. And it's a skill set that's relatively new, I think, in satellite. You know, I described SES, I think, you know, in a, in a 
talk I did last year as a 30-year-old startup, 35-year-old startup, essentially. And I think that mentality, that idea of always innovating is not something that we've always had to have in the past, but we definitely do now. And sort of reinventing SES and, and so what's the next 10 years going to look like is something that, you know, I spend a good amount of time thinking about. And uh, it's an exciting time to be in, in our industry and it, an exciting time to be SES in our industry. So Steve, that's a snapshot of where we are today. But let's take a look back. Where do you think SES has grown and how do you think SES has grown? And let's take between 1985 to 2018 when you stepped in as CEO. Wow, that's a, that's a big question and covering 35 years <laughs> of, uh, of history and achievement. And look, I mean, I, I, I look at, at, at SES's history as much through my own experience as, as anything else. And one of the great pleasures for me of being in Luxembourg for the last sort of three years or so has been meeting a bunch of people who really were in at the beginning and, and, and listening to their experiences and hearing what it was like to, to really be a startup at the very dawn of what was a complete revolution in, in broadcasting, in, in the viewer experience, in my personal experience of, of getting out, you know, being able to watch tens of channels, hundreds of channels, the choices that were available, the quality of the broadcasting. If you kind of go back to 1985, you know, I, I had, I think, four channels of uh, terrestrial TV distributed analog in the UK and and the dawn of I remember vividly the dawn of B Sky B and and it felt like a completely different era and all of that was essentially here in Luxembourg Luxembourg were at the very was the very forefront and SES was the very forefront of an industry which has has spanned the last 35 years incredibly successfully where now we're you know we're we're touching 367 million households, more than a billion people around the world rely on SES for their video programming. It's amazing to think about the progress that's been made over the course of the last 35 years. And I find it really inspiring that, that it's, <laughs> it was really a startup. It was kind of a crazy idea. It was, you know, I, I think leveraging somewhat Luxembourg's background with RTL as being kind of a, a, a broadcaster across uh, across Europe and taking that idea into television and into satellite. But there were so many points at which it could have failed and so many things that could have happened along the way. And yet it's become this sort of amazing success story and has changed the lives of hundreds of millions or billions of people. And I, and I count myself in that group. I'm an avid, uh, sports fan. I'm a, a big Liverpool fan and, and being able to, to, to watch my team, but not only that, any sport that you can mention, news, you know, the fact that, you know, a year, I think, after our first launch, the Berlin Wall came down and you had that, for me, that first pan-European global experience of something seismic happening in the world and shared experience is a big thing for me, that idea of shared experience. And yeah, so it's um, it's a, a long answer to what is a, a very good question I find our history inspiring and I love the stories and the, the, the different interpretations and speaking to the people who were in uh, at the time, even before Betzdorf, while it's easy to 
to to to think about the success now at the time looking forward i think it you know plotting the the landscape how the different broadcasters how to how to arrange the different broadcasters on on the satellite how to uh how to structure our business how to make sure that we were creating value how to build neighborhoods what was the right technology to to go and be deployed and yeah then i think there's the you know i i didn't even realize that there was a history of ses before betstorp i i had always imagined that people uh, started to build ses from from sort of from here but that wasn't the case you know there was an office down in town where ses really started life and and betstorp came a little bit afterwards and uh, we actually had an employee who's finally retired after 35 years i think of of service marcel who you know yeah still remembers and and exchanged some great stories about uh, the days at ses prior to uh, prior to betstorp so then when you stepped in as CEO in 2018, how did that feel with all this, you know, history that you mentioned and, you know, how much, you know, sweat and blood has gone into creating this company? I mean, was it overwhelming? Was it terrifying? How did you feel? Yeah, I mean, so I, I've i been in and around SES myself for, what, more than 20 years, I guess, if, if you trace back my past to New Skies and then... So I joined New Sky Satellites in, in 99, moved to the Netherlands, my first kind of role away from the UK and, and sort of helped to kind of build that, that business. And ultimately we were acquired by SES in 2006. And so that was my first experience of SES. Actually, it wasn't my first experience. I was an engineer at, uh, at what is now Airbus. And I came, I remember vividly, I came to Betzdorf. <clears throat> because I was uh, I was working on a program that had some similar technology that we were building as part of the Astra 2B procurement. So I came to Betzdorf to try and persuade uh, Martin Halliwell and Rick Starkovs and the team back then that they should accept this hardware. And I remember spending three hours being incredibly articulate about how this would definitely be the right thing for Astra to do. Um, and they they uh, they nodded, thanked me, thanked us all very <laughs> kindly for coming to Luxembourg, but sort of informed us that we really ought to swap the hardware out, which was, that was my first experience of SES. And it was a fun one, despite the fact that it wasn't the uh, the answer that I wanted. But then, yeah, in 2006, became part of the SES family. So I was sort of part of the SES family from 2006 to 2011. It's very humbling to to lead a business. And you feel a very, very strong and immediate sense of responsibility, not only for the employees and for shareholders and for and for the good of, of the business going forward, but also as a protector of the history of the business there's a there's an excellent book called legacy which is a book about the all blacks and one of the things in this book is it talks about the responsibilities of an all black is to leave the jersey in a better place than you found it and and i find that to be an amazing idea right that you're part of the history of the all blacks and your period of time is fixed but the All Blacks kind of go on forever. And I feel that about SES, that I'm, let's say, from the CEO perspective, the current incumbent of the jersey. But ultimately, my job is to understand that I'm part of something bigger. And my job is to sort of leave the jersey in a better place than I found it. And, and so I had that, I had that feeling more or less from the day that I walked in. And it's impossible not to feel that way, because I think when you're surrounded by 
the chateau, when you, you kind of drive to Betzdorf, it's a very, you know, you see the antennas coming across the hill. It's a very, very unique place with a very, very unique character. But it also represent, represents sort of the centerpiece of a global business now. It's, it's really, we are genuinely operating in all parts of the world. And, and so, I, and I love that idea as well, that, you know, kind of much as this is our, our home and our headquarters, what we are is representing customers around the world, businesses around the world, services around the world. And that's amazing. I love that answer. And I had no idea that you, once upon a time, you were coming and pitching work to uh, Martin Hallowell. That's amazing. <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah. One big milestone I did want to talk to you about in SES's history was when um, SES became a multi-orbit satellite operator. And as you mentioned, before you joined SES, you were part of that team that worked towards the launch of O3B. In fact, there is a great video of you on YouTube from June 2013. You stood up on a podium at Ariane Space moments after launching the first four O3B MEO satellites, and you addressed an audience of customers and partners and asked the rhetorical question, by bringing this new connectivity to billions of people, what will they need? What will they consume? What will they imagine? Tell me about what it felt like standing up on that podium and looking back, what has the launch of O3B done for these billions of people? Yeah, I remember I, it's, I remember that, that day uh, like it was yesterday. So look, I mean, the story of O3B, I think is a, a really inspiring one for all sorts of reasons. And one of them, and, and just to start with a very sort of SES-centric reason, is I think back then there was a, a real recognition that innovation didn't have to come, you know, from a, a small room in the back of Betzdorf where some smart engineers were, were were working on stuff. I think it did come from there, and a lot of a lot of what we stand on today came as a result of sort of internal innovation and working on technologies and so on. But I think what was recognized was that we were likely to move into a more uh, data-centric, network-centric world, and that it was likely that our our video business, and frankly, the whole media landscape would change. And I think it was difficult to predict how and how quickly and exactly what it would mean. But I think there was a feeling that it would change. And therefore, there was a a strategic need to move more heavily into into data and and delivering data services and that was at the time when we came across uh, O3B and I was kind of involved at SES together with Christoph de Hauer and Jerson Soto and a number of the team in, in kind of looking at what options might be. And of course, I came from a business in New Skies that I would say was certainly mixed data and, and video. And so we came, we met Greg Weiler and we came across this idea of O3B and, and, and I found it inspiring on lots of levels. But, but I think on it from a business standpoint, I found it really interesting that SES could be an investor in this business without loving it too much, meaning without sort of acquiring it up front and, and trying to sort of take it all on and, and actually work with the other shareholders, Google and HSBC and Liberty Global and so on. And I joined O3B as the CEO in, in early 2011. At that point, we were still a little way away from launch. And I went to my first satellite show, Satellite 2011, it would have been, you know, in DC. And I sat at a lunch and, and one of the analysts sort of stood up uh, and said, right, I'm going to, I'm going to raise a, a show of hands 
who believes that O3B uh, will fail and is dead. Um, no. And this, this was this was two months after I, or a month after I joined as, as CEO, sitting in the room. And I can't tell you how many people put their hands up, but it was more than half put their hands no, up. No, so, really. So, so that was kind of the skepticism that was around in the industry, and, I, and it's one of the things that actually I was a bit, uh, you know accusatory i think of the satellite industry at the time was that it wasn't very open to new ideas you know we were bringing something that was very very different that had a real strong mission uh, but also was very different from a kind of from the experience that we could deliver low latency was something that i felt strongly could make a could solve one of the achilles heels of the satellite industry and 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 the rest of the industry saw it very differently right and and so and so getting to the launch we'd been through so much we'd it was such a journey to get to that point. And it was the idea that if you have access to the internet, you can help yourself out of any situation. You can get educated. You can get online and, and sort of join. So join the world's school or university. Join the world's marketplace. You can get healthcare for yourself. You can improve your situation. You can connect, right? Connect with friends or family or whatever it is. The opportunities, if you're connected versus not, are huge. And it's such a basic thing. And actually, as we, you know, we, we did a bunch of studies and it turns out that particularly in the developing economies, after food and shelter, it became the most important thing. It's the thing that people would spend their money on is, is getting online, whether that be through a mobile device or, or some other. And I found that to be an amazing thing. And it's why, you know, a lot of the stories that you, you know, hear about O3B are about the first time we connected the Cook Islands or the first time that we connected South Sudan or Chad or Leticia, we connected a town in the middle of the Amazon uh, rainforest. And the stories that we got back from people on the street, from teachers, from hospitals was, you know, those were the things that kept you going through all the hard stuff was these inspiring stories about what a difference it makes when you see people's face light up for the first time because they can have a Skype call with, we, we had a, a family in, in the Cook Islands who were chatting to their daughter who had gone to, to Auckland to study. Uh, and the fact that they could have an uninterrupted Skype call was the first time they'd done it and they were in floods of tears, you know, and, and that stuff is the real stuff. That for me is the inspiring stuff. And that's how I felt standing on that stage, having launched the first four satellites. I felt like we were going to make a difference to people's lives and people confuse. I, one of the, again, one of the things I love about O3B was the, the idea as soon as you say to people, the other three billion, Everyone gets it, right? It's like, okay, I understand. It, it's, it's important to be connected. And this company is about connecting people. But it was never our ambition to connect 3 billion people, right? There isn't a, a company on the planet that does that. It was saying that the fact there are 3 billion people on the planet that are not connected is a problem. And we should all think that is a problem. And we should all do what we can to fix it. And that was what O3B was about. And that's what I found inspiring. And that's how it felt on that day. And I felt it was the dawning for me. It was a, it was a new era, right? It was, it was now we have the tools in orbit. Now we have the ability to actually start delivering on this promise that we've made. Uh, it was a very, uh, a very exciting, uh, evening. And it was followed by lots of tea punch, if I remember well. <laughs> it is so humbling to be part of this kind of work, but I have to ask, 
Were any of those sceptics from that lunch who didn't raise their hands, were they there at the launch? That's a good question. Were any of them there at the launch? I don't think so, no. I, 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 I mean, that room sort of reflected, I would say, the, the, the rest of the satellite industry. It felt like a really family gathering, right? We had all the shareholders there, but we had all of our customers. Now, the first customers of O3B I'm still friends with to this day. It's, it was an amazing bond because it felt like we were all explorers. It felt like we were all doing something that no one had done before. And, and it was, uh, it, it bred a very, a very unique bond, I think, with, with everyone that was involved and, and partners as well, suppliers. You know, uh, Stefan Israel at that launch, so the CEO of Arianspass, it was, he was fairly early, I think, in his tenure, if I remember. At Arianspass, Jean-Luc Gall at, at, at Thales, who's now moved on to a different role. But again, I still speak with him regularly. The, you know, these these people were instrumental in in that day going well, but also were part of the sort of the the, the O3B experience and the O3B family. I want to touch upon uh, the year of 2020. COVID nineteen appeared, mm. disrupted everything in our personal and professional lives. And at SES, like you said, we pride ourselves in putting our customers first. And during this entire year, it's been imperative that we show up as a partner and do as much as we can to provide a helping hand when possible. So can you just give us sort of a, an overview of what's happened with our customers and how are we managing this pandemic? Mm. It's had a profound impact on our business and, and also on our customers' business. And so we said very early that our job was to make sure that we protected our customers' businesses in any way that we could. What that's meant is first and foremost, making sure that we, we continue to operate, right? And that means that we've had to have, despite the fact that, you know, a lot of folks have been in, in sort of a working from home environment, we've had probably 20%, something like that of our total workforce who have permanently been in in operation centers, you know, facilities, keeping earth stations running, keeping our network operation center active, responding to, because of course, you know, networks became even more busy, frankly, during the pandemic, not less. And so we, we've, we've had to do that. And it's, I say on behalf of everyone at, at SES, an enormous thanks to those that have always, you know, despite a lot of people being in this kind of work from home environment or remote working environment who have, who have maintained presence in the office. And a lot of that was about looking after our customers. If, you know, keeping our satellites safe, keeping our customers safe was sort of a big, big priority, uh, along with keeping our employees safe. And so making sure that we were doing it in a way that was, uh, was sustainable and protecting everybody. But yeah, some, but, but equally, some of our customers' industries have been badly affected, right? So no one's flying, which means no one's getting, uh, connectivity on board planes to the same extent. People aren't, aren't on cruise ships. Um, and that has, you know, significant economic impact on our customers. And so finding ways that we can support our customers through that period, I think, has been important. And I hope will strengthen our relationships with our customers going forward. I think in, in bad times, we sort of stand together and in good times, we stand together. And that's very much been our mantra, I think, as we look to sort of support our customers through through this period. And then what about company culture? Because that's something that you talk about a lot to the team. It's something you believe in deeply. And obviously, COVID-19 has been a big topic in 2020. But we've also seen a huge movement in Black Lives Matter, gender equality and inclusion. Mm. We even now have our first female vice president of the United States. And these are really important mm. topics and events. So how would you say these things have made an impact on SES and its company culture? Yeah, look, I mean, Christina, I think you're probably as, as good a judge of that as I am. It, it is important to me. I've sort of said before that, 
you spend so much time at work and so much and, and time away from, you know, our families and loved ones. And, and I want SES to feel like a part of an extended family, right? It's not the same as my true family, but I want that sort of shared experience, that feeling of being part of something that bigger than, than sort of myself and, and part of, uh, a support network. And, and I think we have that. I really do. And actually the, the pandemic has sort of reinforced that in many respects, because the fact that we haven't been able to, to actually see one another and be with one another means that I think we value some of these connections even more. And, and the amount of, you know, the stories of people reaching out to one another and sort of virtual drinks and finding ways to connect with one another has been both more thoughtful and more appreciated at, at this time. But as you say, I, it's, it's certainly not the only topic. And I think we've, we've had a really good conversation within SES this year over th- over important things like, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And the most important thing there, I think, is discrimination in all of its forms is a bad thing and celebrating everybody's contribution. You know, I like, the idea that now we talk not only about diversity and inclusion, but also belonging. So this idea that someone can be whoever they are, whatever, you know, race, gender, sexual orientation, background, age can feel comfortable and come and be part of SES and do brilliant work. That's ultimately the place that we all want to work. And I think we're making tons of progress. We've, I love the fact that we've got these sort of working groups internally that are coming up with some great ideas as to how to make all of that even, even better and even stronger. And, and most of it, I find, is awareness. You know, we also have this kind of idea of unconscious bias and making everyone a bit more aware of their, of their unconscious biases. Everybody, we all have history. We all have backgrounds. We all come from, from different places. We've been brought up in a certain way. And, and by definition, that gives all of us a certain biased view. And, and, and being thoughtful about that, I think, is probably the most important thing. It has been all too easy to get bogged down by the media this year with all of these dark and dreary stories, but there are some hidden gems from 2020 that I just want to cover here as well that are maybe not so obvious. And I'm referencing specifically the Giving Back program Mm. that was set up by SES, where we can all take two days off a year to give back for the greater good. And this was Mm. something that um, you and the team introduced quite recently. So can you tell us a little bit about the program and why it was introduced in the first place? Yeah, I feel like I do my best work when I'm passionate about what I do, right? That that's and that's why I, I said at the start I joined the satellite industry and never left because I am I'm passionate about what I do in in general terms. But I think that can be even more emphasised and elevated when your values match very strongly with the values of the business, and if you can bring a part of yourself and the things that are most personal to you and bring them into into a work environment. And when I say bring them into a work environment, I don't mean, I, I mean, associate that with a big part of your life, which is where you work. And so the idea of giving back was every what we would give everyone some time. It's, it's almost, the, <laughs> these days, it's almost the most precious gift you can give, right, is, is creating space for everybody to take a couple of days a year to go and do something that's important for them. And that that can be as as simple as 
volunteering at your local shelter or food bank, volunteering at a local hospital, or it can be more. It can be, let's go build a connectivity network together with a team of other people in an underserved area. So I think, you know, the idea was to give everyone complete flexibility as to what it could be. You know, the only obligation was to, you know, as long as you felt comfortable, share stories about what it was that you were doing. And we've had some great ones, right? And, you know, I I was having a chat with someone just the other day who takes in refugees and, and sort of fosters them and it's really important stuff. I, you know, I, again, I love the idea of companies and obviously SES being a, an important member of the communities in which we operate. And we, we operate in lots of communities, obviously here in Luxembourg, but also in, you know, multiple places across the US and in The Hague and in Munich and in Israel and Singapore and everywhere else we have people. And I think it's important that we, we're good citizens and good stewards and, and, and contribute to society more generally. And that was a big part of giving back. It allowed people to bring things that were important to them and connect it with, with SES. Uh, gave people time to go and do it and uh, gives us gives us a feeling that we're contributing in a positive way to, to society one of our sort of six ambitions is that we're here to make a difference and and giving back is one part of that it's the idea that actually we're obviously here for shareholders and we're here to make you know SES very successful but we're also here to make society better in in any way large or small that we can. And I think it's an an important idea for all companies. No, I couldn't agree more. And I love the fact that, you know, even though there was a global pandemic this year, the team has been super creative and proactive. And I loved reading the stories that they shared, like um, colleagues baking fresh goods for doctors Mm. and nurses on the front line. And there was even um, a few colleagues here in Luxembourg using their 3D printers to print parts of face shields for those that need them at hospitals and nursing homes, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, but our customers, like you said, it's also important for, for businesses to give back when they can. And our customers have been pretty busy with regards to supporting those in need this year. Can you share any of those stories with us? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we, we're very fortunate, I think, because we do, uh, you know, we operate in an industry and we we operate a, a business which is able to have a pretty big impact, you know, when disaster strikes or when bad things happen. And I think it's one of the things that I'm proudest of. We're a, a big part of emergency.lu, which deploys in the event of, of a natural disaster of hurricanes or displaced populations. And we sort of go and support the first responders and so on. And, and we can do that even more now. One of the things I'm sort of passionate for us to do as a next step is uh, not just provide connectivity to the first responders, but to go and provide connectivity to uh, the affected populations. Because actually what you find is, and it's sort of fairly consistent with this idea of, of O3B, is when you put connectivity in the hands of affected populations, they're able to, to, to sort of solve their own problems. And so that's a next step for us. But, you know, at the time of the global pandemic, we have this tremendous network, as I mentioned, 367 million households that rely on, on SES for their video programming. So what if we were to transmit a channel uh, that provided people with information about what to do, how to keep themselves safe, washing your hands and, you know, what the pandemic was, what what COVID-19 was and and how to, you know, socially distance and what was safe and what was not safe. Because the challenge in all of these situations is there's a huge amount of misinformation, right? There's a lot of of sort of bad information that gets out there. And so, you know, we were really we were very happy to and very fortunate to to team with a with a whole bunch of folks and stand up this channel that provided people with information about 
you know, how to protect themselves in, in this global pandemic. But then there's also, we, we provide connectivity, right? So we were able to deliver, you know, connectivity to hospitals in Italy during the early, early phase of, of the pandemic where Italy was particularly badly affected. You know, we've, we've heard back from those hospitals that that connectivity that we were able to provide was vital in, in allowing doctors to communicate with one another, to sort of be on video calls with one another and, and share information about what they were experiencing. But also, also, you know, one of the terrible, terrible things about COVID-19 that people were genuinely, genuinely sick and not able to see their their friends and family. And what a scary experience that, you know, on a human level to be in a hospital where you're sick and you're just not able to be in contact with any of your family. And so this was a really important lifeline that we were able to be part of. And you know, again, there are, there are countless stories like that. And, and there's the really big stuff, but there's also the small acts of kindness that how do you make a difference at a human level to people's lives? And those are the things, those are the stories that resonate most strongly with me because I think it makes it very, very human. You, we can all put ourselves in, in that position and we can all imagine how it would be. And, and so even though it's, it's not super scalable, um, those things I find very, very, very impactful. And whenever we can do that as a company or as individuals, you know, it's something that I'm, uh, you know, resonates very strongly with me. It, it really is so nice to see that when things are bad, people want to come together to make things better. They really want to be part mm. of fixing the problem. And actually, just to our listeners, um, you mentioned the Fight COVID-19 TV channel. Uh, please feel free to tune into episode 17 as we've got one um, interview with UNICEF about the content on that channel and how, how it was all launched. But Steve, despite everything going on, we continue to focus on content delivery and bridging the digital divide. And on the tech side of things, very briefly, as we're going to be covering this topic in more detail in part two, what are people keeping busy with when we look at 2021 and beyond? Wow. Yeah. I mean, like I said, in, in terms of uh, our industry, it's it's really disrupting and it's really changing. And I think we're at the forefront of that disruption. We we have some really exciting satellites launching next year, having our geo satellites and having the O3B uh, system into having a truly multi-orbit system. And, and so our customers can increasingly think of SES as a global provider of connectivity services. And wherever they are, whether they're, a, you know, playing a ship at sea a, in a, a fixed location uh, or on the move, you know, we can deliver them with connectivity. And sometimes they're going to be across our geo fleet and sometimes they're going to be across our, our Mio fleet and, and particularly Empower. And that idea, I think, is hugely compelling and also very, very scalable. Now, every single satellite we launch, every single asset that we bring, and frankly, even if we partner with others and integrate theirs, we have this expanding, scalable global network. And that's our vision for the future on, on the network side. And look, on the video side, there's actually some really, really exciting and interesting things happening there as well. We've got a couple of field trials happening in the early part of 2021 that I'm really excited about. Uh, one that involves delivering content to the mobile devices of, of low-income families and low-income individuals. That's a really, you know, expanding the, the number of people that can get access to media and to content. That's a really exciting one. One that we've been working on for a while is how do we inject video into mobile networks in order to decongest those mobile networks. So we got a couple of trials going 
going on there. So yeah, I, I think 2021, I think it probably, it's, it's also somewhat influenced by how challenging for everyone 2020 has been. But I'm looking forward to 21 with so much enthusiasm, uh, lots and lots of stuff to look forward to. And uh, yeah, in many respects, I can't wait. Well, I'm sitting here with a huge smile on my face. I love the enthusiasm. Um, But Steve, we'll leave it there for this episode of Satellite Stories. Next time, we'll be talking about the big plans we have for 2021, uh, the laundry list that you just gave us. And I mean, there's so many exciting things that are coming up, but they're probably going to be slightly different to how we originally planned or thought they would be. Um, But for now, Steve, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Christina. It's a pleasure. 